Better together. If you haven't already, would you open your Bibles to John chapter 4? John 4, our key text today is Jesus meets who we know as the Samaritan woman. We don't know her name. Scripture doesn't tell us. But you've heard about her in various ways throughout your life, maybe. And as I prepared to preach a sermon series, How We Are Better Together, I thought about this idea that we need to have one sermon on evangelism. Evangelism literally means to tell the good news. Uengadzalizo means to proclaim or to herald the good news. And so it's a fancy way first saying we share the love of Jesus with others in our lives. And you might say to me, well, why would we talk about evangelism sharing Jesus on Mother's Day? And I would say to you, why not? I don't know about you, but the first strong godly influence in my life was my mother. And then my grandmother. Nine days ago, I was in Pennsylvania and got to co-officiate my grandmother's funeral, 104 years old. And so when I went to put on these shoes this morning, there was still mud on these shoes. So, sweetheart, that's why there's a brown washcloth on the bathroom floor. (laughs) Kind of cleaned them off a little bit and left the washcloth. Yeah, she probably figured it out. And my grandmother and her influence of faith. And then I think to going to church at a little church near our house when I was a child. And of all the Sunday school teachers that probably wondered about this Yahoo kid, Miss Lenita Richardson and her influence on me, her patience, her kindness, the grace with which she dealt with me even though I was a Yahoo. And then as a teenage boy with all the stuff going on that a teenage spaz like me had going on, Miss Vicki Griffin and her influence and her love and her teaching. And these influences in my life of godly women. And you see the story before us of a godly lady. And how in a moment she met Jesus. And in the very moments that followed, she introduced others to him. What an example for us. Let me pray. And then we'll read. God, as we come to open your word, we pray that you'd open our understanding, that your word would speak by your Holy Spirit with power, and we would be convicted, and we would repent, and we would change, and that we would honor you by our obedience. We would obey you with our faith. So, Father, we thank you for the influence of godly ladies in our life. And we pray that we would take the example of this godly woman to heart today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I'm not going to ask you to read Scripture because we're going to read Scriptures throughout today as we um, narrate this story and use it to observe principles And answer questions that will help us. That's what we're going to do. We're going to observe and answer. And so you see in John chapter 4 verses 1 through 6. It says the Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. 
although in fact it was not John who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back to Galilee, left Jerusalem, the area where there were more Pharisees, and went back to his home country, Galilee. Now when he had to go through Samaria, Samaria, by the way, was a place that the Jewish people didn't like, but many of them went around it, but Jesus went through So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. What we observe from this, and the first thing on your outline, is that Jesus was going about his life. The point on your outline is, while Jesus was living his life. While Jesus was living his life, the rest of this story unfolds. Well, what was Jesus' life at this point? He was basically an itinerant preacher. He went where the Spirit of God directed him to go. And so he had been in Judea, and things are changing. The pressure is rising in Judea. Um, And so he decides he's going to leave Judea and go north. And rather than going around Samaria, he goes through Samaria. Maybe it was that God told him he had an appointment. But he was living his life. He was going about what God had commanded him to do. With us, we should live our lives by principle and avoid sinfulness and avoid unrighteousness because we know the Bible tells us, do this, don't do that. That should be a general command for us. But then when it comes to the specific command of what we do, our job, our ministry, those sort of things. You keep doing what you're doing until God tells you otherwise, until he clearly directs you those specific commands. And so Jesus is living his life, going about his ministry. That was his life. Your first question is, how often am I mindful of God within my daily life? Jesus received direction. It's time to leave here. Time to go north. And although Scripture says he was thirsty, what we see unfold here next shows that he was mindful of God's presence with him. It wasn't just that he was sitting down to get a drink and then he was getting back on the road, so to speak. He had greater things to do. He was mindful of God's presence. So many of us, however, we compartmentalize God. God belongs here at church and everything else is my life. I give my tithe to God and everything else is mine. I give a little effort and thought to God for, you know, five minutes in the morning and the rest of the day is mine. But it's not so. God intends us to live our entire life for him. He gives us our life. He gives us our breath, our thoughts, everything about it. And we are just stewards of it. And that mindfulness of God. We've got to be paying attention. Our prayer should go something like, God Don't let me miss what you have for me today. God, keep me from going too fast. God, keep me from being too selfish. God, keep me from anything too fill-in-the-blank negative for you. So Jesus is living his life. He's mindful of God's presence in his life. Let's read the next passage of Scripture. And we're going to get to our next point. Verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. 
The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And then you get the parenthetical statement like John so often does. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Just in case you didn't know that, you do now. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would give you living water. What just happened here? Jesus asked for a real drink of water. Uh, Apparently, he didn't have anything to draw it with. She did. He asked for a real drink of water. And then she's like, dude, why are you asking me? This isn't normal. She could tell by his appearance that he was Jewish. Maybe his accent gave him away as Jewish. One way or the other, she knew immediately that he was not like her. And it was not customary. But Jesus changes on a dime from talking about physical water to spiritual water. Look at what happens next in verse 11. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? She doesn't understand yet. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as did all his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus is going to explain, verse 13. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Wait a second, Jesus. What are you talking about, buddy? We're not talking about the water in this well. We're talking about something that's spiritual, eternal life. Let's go on. Let's see what the scripture has to say. Verse 15, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't have to uh, get thirsty and keep coming here to draw water. She doesn't understand yet. She thinks there's some sort of special water that she can drink all the time. Physical water. Verse 16, he told her, go and call your husband and come back. Again, Jesus is changing things, taking it to the next level. Verse 17, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when uh, you said you had no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Now, she notices, verse 19, sir. The woman said, I can see you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim this place is where we ought to worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. So he's talked about living water. He's talked about eternal life. Now he's talking about salvation. Verse 23. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. She's got it now. She's got it now. He, when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Verse 26 Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Whoa. Look at your point on your outline. He talked with the woman about salvation. He's living his life, but he 
talks with her about salvation. In the middle of getting a drink, he turns this to a conversation about eternal life. When's the last time you've done that? You know, you go to Taco Inn because you got to get the, you know, nachos grande or whatever. And, you know, you're getting your Pepsi and the guy next to you strikes up a conversation about how the Pepsi at Taco Inn is particularly syrupy and really sweet. And that's why he comes to Taco Inn besides the nachos are wonderful. And how do you turn nachos into a conversation about eternal life? I don't know. I'll let you figure that out. But whatever it is in your life, you can turn to a conversation about eternal life. With me, it's real easy. You know how guys, when they first meet each other, it's like, hey, my name's so-and-so, my name's so-and-so. Oh, how long you lived in Lincoln? What do you do for a living? Well, I'm a pastor. So I got the immediate end to say, where do you go to church? Tell me about your relationship with Jesus. You guys might not be that easy, but you can figure out a way to talk about eternal matters, important matters with people you've just met, like a lady. At a well, somebody at Taco Inn or wherever it is you like to go out to eat. So he talked with her about salvation. Your second question there is, how ready am I to speak about eternal salvation? Jesus was ready to talk just like that. He took from uh, uh, you know, physical water to living water. From I need something to drink to keep me from coming back to the well to something that would be eternal salvation. He changed it at a moment's notice. 1 Peter 3.15. Do you know that one? Write it down. It says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. That last part needs to be like tattooed on the back of our eyelids when we're on social media. Talk to people about Jesus and the hope that you have, but do so with gentleness and respect. Maybe in your face-to-face conversations too, but I find that it's a lot easier for people to blast people when they're behind a computer screen. They don't do it so much face-to-face. We should love others and tell others about Jesus enough that we're willing to try You might say, well, I'm not an evangelist. You might say, I'm not gifted. You might say, I don't speak well. You might say, I don't know enough. You might say, I'm not smart enough. And I might ask you, does the Spirit of God not live in you? The Spirit of God that can empower anyone to do anything, that can give sight to the blind, raise a dead man, and forgive your sins and give you an eternal home? Does that Spirit of God not live in you? Yet you say you can't speak about Jesus? Remember, God doesn't desire people to be lost in eternity in hell. Scripture says he's not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness to be. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He's being patient with you. Maybe the people that God is being patient with is us as believers in Jesus, so we will get our act together to tell others about him. So Jesus points the lady to eternal salvation. She figures it out and says, I know that the Christ is coming. And he says, I who speak to you am he. I wish I could like speak in that cool backwards kind of Yoda syntax from time to time because people would go, whoa, listen to the way that guy talks. He must be something else, but I'm not that smart. I'm not that cool. But Jesus says, I who speak to you am he. So let's move on in our scripture Verse 27 through the disciples are coming back. We'll skip through that. Verse 28. Then leaving her water jar, the women went back to town and said to the people. So she didn't even take the water with her. 
She's found something more valuable. Look at verse 29. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Well, maybe she's speaking in exaggeration, hyperbole, or maybe there's more than the conversation that we don't have recorded by John here. Could this be the Christ? Your third point on your outline is she invited others to meet Jesus. That third point is that she invited others to meet Jesus. So Jesus is going about his life. He turns the conversation to spiritual things. She immediately says, wow, this is different. Maybe he is the Christ. And she invited others to meet Jesus. She went back to town immediately. And she invites others to meet Jesus. He knew me. He's different. I'm different. You need to meet him. That should be our job as Christ followers, to introduce others to Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.11, listen to what it says. It says, therefore, because we know the fear of the Lord, we seek to persuade people. We are completely open before God, and I hope we are completely open to your consciences as well. Immediately, she sought to persuade others. Is he the Christ? He told me about myself and my life. He told me everything. He knew everything about me. Are we as enthusiastic as she is? Keep in mind the etymology of that word enthusiastic means to be filled with the Spirit of God. It's not go big red. Are we as enthusiastic as she is to invite others to consider Jesus? Look at your next question. Who will I talk with about Jesus? Now, meeting somebody for the first time at a well or at Taco Inn or wherever else and talking to them about Jesus is a little less scary. It's not your family member, it's not your coworker, not your neighbor. Not somebody who's seen you at your worst moments because you can put on your Christian face and act perfect and talk to them about Jesus, right? But all of us have people in our lives that need a personal relationship with Jesus. The problem is that our personal relationship with Jesus is faulted, and they know that. But I love the way Anita prayed earlier. She's got cracks. But did you hear what she said later in her prayers? Something about God's love, God's grace flows out from those cracks, right? And I'm like, yeah. Can I live in such a way that even though I'm a yahoo and I struggle with anger and I sometimes, many times, oftentimes get impatient and want things my way, which demonstrates my pride and my selfishness and my sinfulness. Could I live in such a way that when I speak about Jesus, people know that I'm real? And people know that I'm broken and that I got cracks, but it's the cracks that Jesus shines out through. Who will I talk with about Jesus? Who will you talk with about Jesus? Who do you know in your life that needs a personal relationship with Jesus? Pastor Jack Graham says, someone you know who may seem far from Jesus, may actually be under conviction. Never be intimidated by resistors. See Paul, Saul of Tarsus. Even if you think they won't listen to you about Jesus, maybe they're just that close and you need to speak the truth. Let's move on to your fourth point. 
Many people followed Jesus because of her. Your next point on your outline is that many followed Jesus because of her. You're going to see it here in the scripture, but many followed Jesus because of her. Let's look down there in verse 39. It says, many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with him, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Whoa! In two days' time from meeting her at a well, like, Many other people, half the town, we don't know how many, followed Jesus because of her. Our scripture memory verse for the month, and it's on the top of your outline there, reminds us about how we live. That we're to love others deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. We're to be hospitable to others, not grumble. And use the gifts we've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. When we live for others, we demonstrate Jesus. And though we should speak about Jesus and invite them to trust Jesus as their Savior, our lives demonstrate that as well. Many people follow Jesus because of her. In your outline this morning, you or your bulletin this morning, you got a blank sheet of paper. Some of you might have already doodled on it. Some of you might have made a paper airplane out of it. I don't know what else you could do with it. I'm sure there's plenty. But if you've noticed, we've got our two stations here, and maybe you weren't here a few weeks ago. These are prayers. And not unlike the wall in Jerusalem where people put prayers in the cracks. These are prayers that people wrote down and rolled them up and put them in here. We want to give you another opportunity today. You can write different types of prayers. Maybe the prayer you need to write is the name or names of people that you need to share Jesus with. You might write that prayer and put that on either of these stations when we come to our invitation in just a few minutes. Maybe you want to write a prayer of thanksgiving for the ladies who have influenced your life And memorialize that on Mother's Day by writing that down and putting it here. Maybe it would be more meaningful to you to write the prayer down but keep it with you in your Bible. Whatever it is, we'll let you respond as we come to the invitation here in just a moment. We have another point, however, to make. And that point is a question. And that's who will be in heaven because of me. Who have you shared a personal witness with about Jesus? That because you invited them to consider Jesus and they eventually trusted him, they're going to be in heaven because of you. If that doesn't scare you, but motivate you and empower you, I don't know what else can. Who will be in heaven because of you? Your children, family members, friends, neighbors, co-workers. Who will be in heaven 
because of you. There are two conclusions from this passage of Scripture. And they're related to two verses that I read over earlier, but we're going to go back and point to those. And the first conclusion is this. It's what we must do. And that is go and tell. We've got to go and tell others about Jesus. Look back at verse 28. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. She went and told. In order for somebody to trust Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord, you've got to go to them, be face-to-face with them. I know you could call them or whatever, but tell them about Jesus. You have to do that. You cannot just live a good life in front of them. You've got to speak the words of truth. And it's best if you do it face-to-face. But verse 29 gives us a second conclusion. And that is what we must say. Come and see. Come and see is what she said. She said, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Come see for yourself. Examine for yourself. Maybe we're so hung up on not sharing our faith because we think we have to tell people what to do. But maybe it should be that we ask people to consider Jesus We say to them, come and see, not come and let me scold you. You don't need to pound people. They already know they're sinful. You simply need to introduce them to Jesus and love them. Their hearts, their conscience tells them that they're lost. You just need to point them to the Savior. In conclusion, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15 says, For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that they might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalfs. Jesus died for you that you might live for him. Tell others about him so they might live for him too. Let's pray. God, we thank you so very much for the Samaritan woman. I imagine when we get to heaven, there's going to be a long line at her door. And people are going to want to say thank you. And people are going to want to ask, what was it like? What did Jesus really say? What did you say to others? Because you've used her story throughout generations to change lives. And again today, her story motivates us on Mother's Day to consider sharing the truth. An invitation to come and see Jesus to the people in our lives. So Father, we thank you for her, but we thank you most of all for Jesus, our Savior. And we ask if there's anyone here who needs to trust him for the first time, that they would do that today. If there's any of us here that need to pray and offer ourselves to you in our need to share 
Jesus with others, that we would do that today. Whether at this altar or writing down a prayer and putting it at one of our stations. God, would we be obedient to you in Jesus' name. Amen.